0: A young perspective on hot-button issues around the world. This is The Hub. Hello and welcome to the program. I'm Wang in Beijing. The global economy is declining, but the global media is not talking about Africa, with its 1 billion-plus people, which is nearly 17% of the world population. The African Economic Outlook 2022 released by the African Development Bank says, the pandemic and the Ukraine crisis are the biggest negative impacts. What are the gloomiest areas, and what are the bright spots? How have China's engagements with African countries weathered through external shocks? To discuss more, I'm joined today by Sandri Duimana, director of international liaison at China Africa Business Council, and also by Professor Wang Jinjie from the National School of Development and Institute of South South Cooperation and Development at Peking University. Uh, ladies, welcome to the program. Um, Sandrine, why don't I start with you? We've heard from the president of Ghana, for example, at the UN General Assembly recently, um, who is really doubting uh, if there can be any major progress. He says uh, identified some major, major areas of uh, challenges, for example, a perfect storm of global economic chaos, a war with global consequences, and in his own words, uh, unwillingness or inability to find a consensus to deal with all this. um, Talk to us about what's happening in Africa.
1: Yes, thank you Wang Guang for having me. Um, Yes, so as the president mentioned, the world is truly currently not in a good place. The global economy is experiencing the steepest growth since uh, 1970 and Africa is not any different. The report you mentioned um, has pointed out as the pandemic, Russia, and Ukraine crisis uh, having the, the biggest impact on Africa's economy that could last several years, even a decade. So the same report, for example, indicates that 30 million people in Africa were pushed into extreme poverty in 2021, that 22 million jobs were lost in the same year because of the pandemic, and this trend is expected to continue into the next year as well. So I could further summarize the findings of this report as well as A lot of the challenges pointed out in our own report at China Africa Business Council that we released recently on Chinese investment in Africa from supply chain perspective. Uh, But I also like to point out that uh, a crisis is often a wake up call for all of us.
0: Right. You know, economic growth has a lot to do with jobs, Uh, Professor Wang. um The job situation in Africa is not optimal, to put it mildly. In 2021, nearly 22 million jobs were lost due to the pandemic, and nearly 30 million people driven into extreme poverty uh, in that very continent. And Africa, according to estimates, needs over $400 billion of additional finance. Um, How do you see China's South-South cooperation initiatives uh, helping Africa meet these objectives?
2: Um, in terms of china' south South cooperation uh, it keeps focus on development cooperation with africa as we all know it has lent a strong boost to africa's development such as infrastructure for the industrialization process as we can see the china is making steady progress in implementing all the pledges it made for china africa cooperation we all know that over three billion u.s dollar credit facilities pledged to african financial institutes and nearly over 2 billion U.S. dollars of loans were channeled to Africa's priority programs uh, and, and over 2 billion U.S. dollars for Chinese companies' investment in Africa. All these facts proved that despite the evolving international situation, rising global crisis, China and Africa have stayed their course in enhancing cooperation, as Justice Sandrine mentioned as
0: well. Well, Sandrine, let me stay with you. You recently retweeted an article by the title of China may be a lot of things in Africa, but it is not a colonizer. Uh, Why did you retweet that tweet?
1: So look, Africa is um, a continent of 54 and 55 countries with over a billion people, like you mentioned at the beginning. Um, And according, I wanted to point out the findings of the Afrobarometer polling results, which showed a stark uh, split in their public opinion on what China is doing in Africa. And the, the most recent results show that um, China remained, despite um, everything happening, China remained second to the United States as a preferred development model for Africans. Um, however, the survey also found that the majorities of those who are more aware of Chinese loans and development assistance, their countries are also concerned about uh, being heavily indebted to China. Um, but I also wanted to add a few uh, a few points on the anal- general analysis that, the one that uh, was published by Development Read Imagine. Um, because I think often when these things are, are discussed, when African debt is discussed, it's taken out of context and or people miss uh, the big picture and it often is misleading. It become more of a political tool rather than actual facts. So, for example, it's important to keep in mind the even though, yes, the African external debt has been quite volatile, but especially rising quickly since the early 2000s. Uh, the entire African continent currently accounts for under 11 percent of all the low and middle income country debt globally. So the countries with the highest absolute debt levels on the continent are currently the largest economies. Five African countries account all, for all the 50 percent of all African debt. And besides, a uh, popular belief, China still accounts for just 8 percent, 8.7 percent of all. The debt owed to uh, by African countries. So there are many, many surprising facts about African debt that we obviously don't have time to unpack right now. But I wanted to, to, to stress again, the importance of keeping things in context, thinking about poverty, extreme poverty, and the context and the needs that African countries still have and the needs for financing.
0: Professor Wang, uh, according to International Nonprofit Center for Global Development from 2007 to 2020, China's two main overseas development banks invested 23 billion U.S. dollars in infrastructure projects in Africa. How do you see these projects benefiting either side?
2: I think this is a great question to uh, to think about as well. Uh, the reality is this is not only China, but also the rest of the world eyes on Africa. There are many reasons for that. One of it is Africa is the world's youngest continent, as we all know. Over 60% of Africa's population under the age of, of 25. Uh, so Africa's youth is the continent's biggest of resources. Uh, if harnessed well, Africa will grow tremendously. So uh, about uh, about this I- issue, and uh, I, I believe that um uh, I can further explain that by introducing our first-hand field study findings. In our research, we studied about 184 investors in the industry parks from seven countries, uh, seven African countries. Our study discovered that the reasons for a company to invest in Africa are multiple. The, the reasonable price of labor force, good investing policies, and political stabilities and a safe environment are the top reasons to attract uh, investors. And also, they are facing challenges. They informed us. Lack of skilled workers, efficiency of the government and efficiency of the logistics and etc. Are, are the top concerns. So uh, in terms of this uh, cooperation and the investment, there are there are good signs and uh, some challenges as well. But uh, for sure, we can tell that there is very promising and uh, because of the improvement of the infrastructure, more and more Chinese investors and uh, global investors are, are eyes on Africa right now. And uh, we see uh, prosperity and the future is coming up. Of course, we need to overcome a lot of issues uh, along the way. Yes, Wang
0: Yeah, it sounds very promising. Uh, you know, the fact that uh, the majority of the African population are the youth, um, which yes. of course offers uh, huge potentials uh, as consumer markets um, grow over there. Sandring, uh, one investor concerned about Africa. Uh, we've heard it all the time. It is the security situation over there. There have been uh, you know, a change of regimes by peaceful means sometimes, but uh, on other occasions uh, by violent uh, riots and even um, coup d'etats. Uh, besides, there's extremism, uh, piracy on the seas, uh, conflicts. How is Africa addressing those concerns? I guess Africa is not a monolithic whole, right? Um, Sudan is different from Egypt, from South Africa, but overall, can you guess, give us a sense of how is you know, countries that you're familiar with uh, dealing with the situation?
1: perhaps because I speak as an African, I think I've always felt that security concerns have, even though they're real, they've always been um, overblown, especially in the media. So when you actually take a deeper analysis, you you realize that in general, there are far more smoother leadership transitions and far more stable uh, countries than unstable ones. And it is often uh, the case that the same regions that um, experience security crisis repetitively due to historical factors. So I would like to address this at uh, at first. However, like you mentioned, extremism uh, specifically, as you mentioned, and um, also the Ghanaian president also spoke about it, at the UN General Assembly, as well as attacks on Chinese projects and individuals has been a growing concern, which is why the appointment of the special Chinese uh, envoy has uh, of Horn of Africa affairs, was very, very welcomed by African governments and leaders because it's not a fight that African uh, alone can carry on their own and it needs as much as support as
0: possible. Sandring, how do you look at the evolving security cooperation between China and Africa? Um, there has been this military base of China, the first of its kind, built in Djibouti. Uh, a military overseas uh, a base, uh, what China calls uh, a naval uh, logistic uh, support base. Uh, how do you look at that?
1: I, just, I look at it as a, as a positive development. So I think seeing um, the investment from China to Africa has been growing significantly, meaning that the assets Chinese assets in Africa um, have grown, and they need to be protected. Uh, I think it's natural that you know we want to to put our resources, as much resources as possible, whether it's on the African side, whether it's on the Chinese side. So I think I view this as a, as a positive. Um, Africa needs a lot of support in, in maintaining the safety and security of its resources, its assets. And so the fact that we're seeing more discussions and more dialogue happening, even on security issues, I think is a, it's, a, it's a good progress, a good good development.
0: Right, Professor Wang, let's talk about the Belt and Road Initiative. It is a huge uh, plan um, You know, as China is providing more thought leadership uh, around the world. It's not just a thought leadership, but it's putting it into action. By the end of April 2022, 52 African countries and the African Union Commission have joined uh, China's BRI. How do you see this initiative uh, benefiting or helping Africa?
2: I think infrastructure is the key for development. Um, taking the industry park as an example, it is a kind of infrastructure. Um, so, under the BRI, uh, the the investment and uh, the donations and the financial capitals goes to the infrastructure. As for the industry park, it created a better business environment for investors, and also will create a more job opportunity for the locals. So, I think the infrastructure are one of the fundamental key impacts of the economic development and international cooperation under the BRI. Another key impact is on human development, especially on human capital development. As I just mentioned, in our field of study in Africa, uh, another finding is that over 45% of the investors we studied in our uh, in our survey, uh, they mentioned a the lack of skilled workers. So the skill imbalance and the mismatch between education and the need of the labor market are very obvious. So how to promote the investors, how to guide the, the investors under the uh, the BRI, policy and under the government policy so they can deliver a spillover effect, which is a force that cannot be ignored because they act as the skilled training hubs for the local employees, training the local employees to become urban workers. So China and Africa cooperation under BII should focus on these key issues, infrastructure, human development, deeply understand the major challenges faced by different countries, especially in the field of a good quality of human capital. So that could achieve a win-win for both China and Africa in the long run. Yes, I'm go ahead, Professor
0: Wang, there are practical challenges, for example, the COVID-19 pandemic. A foreign Minister and yeah. State Councillor Wang Yi recently talked about, uh, in his words, strong shield against COVID-19 built together by China and Africa. What exactly do you think he meant by that?
2: Uh, Yeah, I I think uh, from the data, from the data, we can tell China has uh, provided a close to 200 million doses of vaccines to to African countries. And we see that the Africa uh, CDC headquarters building will be completed soon, estimated maybe in, in the near year. And upgrading of different hospitals in African countries like South Sudan, Chad, and Malawi, those are all very good signs of this strong shield built together by China and Africa. Another key factor, which I just uh, mentioned, is to build a strong shield for the health of the African people is to foster the medical human resources. For example, Africa international students are studying in China. They study in the higher education institutes medical fields related to educational exchange and vocational education cooperation between China and, uh, and Africa are largely needed, so preparing the medical experts and human resources are quite crucial for this uh, strong shield building as well.
0: Uh, finally, let me ask both of you this question. What are your expectations from this year's um, you know CPC Party Congress, especially uh, chapters or goals or initiatives related to South-South cooperation or China-Africa cooperation? Uh, let me start with you, Sandrine.
1: So here I will perhaps maybe speak from, again, from uh, someone who works at China Africa Business Council, where most of our activities are actually between China and um, African countries. So before the pandemic, we traveled a lot, we cooperated a lot, we traveled from China to Africa, China, Africa to China a lot. And we, you know, we had meetings happening in Africa, we had Africans joining us uh, here in China. So it will be good um, if... uh, something along the lines of um you know those borders being open will be definitely something that is uh wanted um a lot of um the slowing of the economies or interactions um are due to the fact that we have not been able to see face to face to see each other face to face or it or those um meetings have been have been made a little more difficult so i think this biggest expectation for someone who used to travel a lot will be maybe we can hope to start traveling again next year.
0: Yeah, yeah let's hope. Uh, let's all hope. Uh, Professor Wang, what do you think?
2: I think one thing for the future and expectations we ensure is that uh, um, mutual development and mutual learning will be the hardcore for the next step and for now- nowadays uh, cooperation as well.
0: Yeah, um, Professor Wang, you talk about the fact that multilateralism is helping Africa instead of hurting it. Uh, but we've heard from Washington, whereby the Biden administration, for example, is saying that uh, you know, it will counter harmful activities by the People's Republic of China and Russia and others in Africa. How do you look at those you know, claims and how is Africa balancing you know, its relations with the West versus those with China?
2: Especially, you know, nowadays under the uh, uncertainty of global relations, the changing is day by day. So for either bilateral, multilateral or trilateral, it's a choice and the freedom of African countries itself and also the freedom and the rights for other countries as well.
0: Thank you so much for joining us as well at this hour. Thank you both. The Republic of Djibouti may be small, but it is a huge opportunity. Its strategic position on the northeast coast of Africa makes it a gateway to the Suez Canal, one of the world's busiest shipping routes. What makes this horn of African nation so important to China? Eminent and communist Dr. Abdullah Kader Hussein Mohammed joins me from Djibouti to talk about all this. He's with the Institute of Political and Strategic Studies under Djibouti's Ministry of Higher Education and Research. Dr. Muhammad, welcome to the program. Let's talk about China-Djibouti relationship. Uh, this diplomatic relationship started in 1979, just a year and a half after Djibouti gained independence from French colonial rule. In your opinion, how have bilateral ties evolved?
3: The relationship between China and Djibouti is a very long-standing relationship. At the beginning, it started with the, uh, diplomacy, opening embassy, and also having some cultural ties. But later on, it has become multi-dimensional ties. When country gain independence, it needs uh, the support of uh, uh, other countries and international organization to start over. And uh, China responded uh, uh, positively.
0: Like you said, it is certainly a multi-dimensional relationship. But if you read uh, Western headlines, uh, the spotlight focuses on the fact that China built uh, one of its first overseas military bases in none other. Then the region of Djibouti, uh, it's a seaport over there, what China describes as a logistical um, support facility over there. How do you look at the facility, and how is the Chinese military port there received by locals?
3: First of all, it's related to Djibouti's strategic location. It's at the crossroad of three continents, Africa, and Europe, and Asia. It's the second most important margin world in the world. And, and the other thing is also Djibouti is a very stable country and a peaceful country, unlike other countries in the regions. Since there is also existing threat in the regions, uh, for example, I can mention piracy, terrorism and other, other threats. And it's, it's, it is logical that China or other countries open military bases in Djibouti and you know what's other is important. This is not also the agreement made with Djibouti because Djibouti uh, have good issue with China and US and other countries. So when they open base in Djibouti, they have some condition to to to, to respect and to to abide by. Then uh, that condition is uh, to have a strictly respect the objective set by. Uh, to
0: government, but why do you think some Western commentators and Western politicians kept saying that uh, China is doing neo-colonialism in uh, countries, including yours?
3: When they say they see that the modern day colonialism, I think this is wrong because, as I said, we need partnership first and foremost, and secondly, we have also uh, mutual interest and a mutual benefit. So that's. Uh, misconception that built by western countries and the other thing they use to back up that idea is about death you know they said it's a tribe to the it's not because you know the death is still sustainable in Djibouti and so it was invested in the economy sectors like for uh, uh, like railway also um, other areas that those sectors itself will generate revenue that will, in return, help, help to pay back those credit. So it has nothing to do, there's no debt. And also, China allows Djibouti or other African countries to renegotiate in, uh, if that is, they cannot pay back in due time. Both countries respect the general rule of market. The idea of colonizing is completely uh, false.
0: All right, Dr. Mohammed. let's talk about the economy of Djibouti. Uh, there are so many blueprints for the country's future growth. For example, Vision 2035, that is a development pr- blueprint that is set to triple your country's per capita income by 2035. Uh, certainly a very ambitious set of targets. And also Djibouti is setting up this international free trade zone. How do you think has Djibouti's economy developed under these new projects and initiatives?
3: Djibouti the expected scenario of development by 2035. The first step was to to promote job and uh, economic growth and that uh, we are in the halfway between 2015 and 2019 the economic growth basically is between five and seven percent for Djibouti. So this is a reality and nobody can do this. And the other thing is also uh, in order to support economic growth and development, Djibouti has to have infrastructures. And with the help of China, with the partnership of China, Djibouti has built, I think, unlike other African countries, uh, many infrastructures that suit economic activity. So that's also a success story we can relate to 2035 visions. And uh, unfortunately, I think we can say, we did it halfway is in terms of a job creation. Uh, the latest figure said job uh, unemployment is about 47% and uh, it was supposed at the end of uh, that five years plan to achieve 38%. So, but still now we, we, we finish with that one plan. Now we go through, we go with the new plan. So that's for Vision 2035. For international free trade area, uh, first, uh, what is it? It is to make Djibouti a logistic hub for the regions and for Africa and for the world. And you know, we expect to create in that activity 200,000 jobs, and we hope we will meet that objective. And uh, uh, Djibouti is a main uh, stakeholder, around the 60%, and also China is also one of the uh, stakeholders.
0: Djibouti-Ethiopia Railway is a signature project of the region uh, in East Africa. Um, It is also considered part of the Belden Road Initiative. Uh, How do you think uh, the Belden Road Initiative at large and uh, this railway in particular has helped locals?
3: Djibouti has to use uh, maritime transshipment or road to either import or export goods. From Djibouti or Ethiopia or any other countries, this is another way to make trade with, with neighbour countries, especially Ethiopia. and the, the train improves and increase the volume of good uh, that going between, uh, between Djibouti and Ethiopia. and the people also can travel very easily uh, rather than taking cars or plane, they can use railway as a person to to move and uh, and they have is less expensive and uh, it has been a major uh, project for for locals.
0: This November, Djibouti will participate in the China International Import Expo in Shanghai uh, for the first time ever. What can we expect from Djibouti's presence? I mean, what is Djibouti expecting from the expo?
3: They can expect from that to... Uh, exhibit and also to show all the assets we have in terms of fishery, in terms of tourism, Dubuque uh, will also have uh, maybe a possibility to convince some investors, some some uh, entrepreneurs, especially Chinese entrepreneurs, to. Uh, no better duty and to invest in, in, in Djibouti.
0: All right, Dr. Mohammed. finally, I know that you studied in China. How has your experience changed your perception about China and the Chinese people?
3: I had a very uh, good opportunity to pursue my PhD study in China. and I also have expectation in terms of uh, what I'm going to study uh, uh, in my project in, in PhD. John University of Economics and Law. And uh, I hope uh, and uh, I greet them if they, they can see me. And it was one of the best universities I, I, I saw and I studied there. Uh, I have also opportunity to, uh, to learn Chinese language and uh, to interact with Chinese people, I'm uh, very friendly people. And, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, I took away very positive of my stay in China and my PhD in Wuhan City. So that's a good, very good experience.
0: Dr. Muhammad, thank you so much for joining us. Come back again.
3: Thank you for, for having
0: me. That will do it for this edition of The Hub on CGTN. Thank you so much for joining us. Our news coverage continues on CGTN. Bye.